the heart of the Oregon wine country, you're listening to Season 5 of the Wine Crush Podcast. Stories uncorked for casual wine enthusiasts around the world, featuring winemakers from the Willamette Valley. Sponsored by Country Financial. From origin stories to terroir, here's your host, Heidi Moore. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Wine Crush Podcast. We are season five, episode eight, so we think it's eight anyways. So we are here to have a great time downtown McMinnville, as always, in the beautiful, historic downtown area in my office, which is where the studio is. We had a little hiatus, but we are back with two of, I always say you're my favorites, but there's always favorites, and I absolutely adore you too. So we have Tom Crusoe with Pray Tell Wine and Nick Keeler with Authentique. Authentique wine, authentique cellars. Authentique wine cellars or authentique wine cellars. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say it that way. So, anyhow, there we go. We got Nick and Tom with us today. So, we're going to start with Tom. I love a good story and I love where people start from. And I don't know, it's just, it's the best way to start. Not everybody comes into the wine industry the same. It's almost like a fingerprint. Everybody has their own individual way. So, let's uh, let's start with where Pray Tell Wine started Perfect. from. And yeah. We'll finish where you are going and where I am. what the plans are. Going. Cool. Um, yeah, so I'm from uh, Philadelphia originally. So grew up in a big Italian family on 9th and Oregon Avenue there, which is kind of crazy. Um, it's kind of serendipitous, it right? It is in some, in some way, yeah. So my grandparents were immigrants from Italy and came over. And, and uh, growing up, wine was always a big part of just the family culture. And so every summer with my grandfather, we would make wine on the sidewalk in Philadelphia, which was to me what I thought everybody did. Like it was just the normal, you know, that part of Philadelphia was pretty insular in terms of strong Italian community. And so the sense of community was always something that I think subconsciously, you know, you don't always pay attention to or name it, but was a big part of um, why I ended up really choosing to kind of pursue and, and lean into wine as an adult. But we would source grapes from vineyards in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and there are tons of them uh, now, but we would bring them in and we had a little hand crank destemmer and basket press and we would just set up shop right there on the corner and, and do our thing. Never thought about that as a career path. Went down to, uh, down to college in uh, Washington, D.C., and then quickly moved up to New York after that. And so went out to lots of really good restaurants in New York, always curious about, you know, the wine list whenever it was handed to me. And, you know, you don't want to buy a lemon in, in those regards. So I always tried to do some research and uh, tried to be kind of like this, you know, educated consumer when it came to wine. And so I thought, well, let's enroll in a uh, in a wine program, like a, a course. And so I kept my day job, you know, I was a book editor at the time, and I was editing uh, psychology and, and business books. So, you know, I get home after a long day, and and, you know, you're reading all these, you know, companion modules to the DSM, which is, you know, stuff for diagnosing different things. And it would be so heavy. And so I just reached for a glass of wine just to kind of un unwind. But enrolled in a sommelier program, studied wine that way, and had all these questions about, you know, why does it taste this way? Or, or you know, a lot of the how questions that, that were a little more oriented towards production. And so having all those questions, I'd ask, you know, my teachers who were all master sommeliers and they would say, well, you know, I've had this wine, but they couldn't necessarily get to kind of the nuts and bolts of why a wine, you know, like production stuff or viticulture stuff. And so my curiosity ran a little deeper. So while I was still working as a book editor, I basically took a, the graveyard shift at an urban winery in Brooklyn and I was making wine basically from 5 p.m. to, you know, 4 a.m. And then I'd go sleep for two hours and go back to my day job. And so it was this like crazy period in my life, but I was just young enough and, and full of energy enough to do it. And so at the end of the day, I just was like, I need to need to go see, you know, how things are really done. Because a lot of those questions I had, my boss would say, you know, those pieces of equipment exist, but you're in an old crematorium in Brooklyn. Like you need to go to California, you know, or you need to go to, to the West Coast. And so so I moved out to Sonoma and worked for a winery down there for a bit. And along the way, just continued reading and tasting and came up to Oregon on a road trip, just fell in love with the region. And so a week later after that trip, I had an apartment in Portland and moved up without a job or anything planned. And it was a very fortuitous time to move to wine country because it was just after harvest when no one's hiring. 
you know, just made it work for a little while and got out there and, and tasted and networked and just tried to explore the region as much as possible. I managed to get a job and work for some really amazing producers up here over the way. And then in 2017, decided to start my own label. So something that I hold really kind of at the, at the highest expression of wine is its ability to express creativity. And so I've always, along the years, making wine with other people have admired the opportunity to work with really creative people. And so, you know, along the way, you get kind of this itch to have your own, you know, creative expression as well. And so an opportunity came along and I made just 120 cases of Gamay back in 2017. And now it's... um now it's moving up, so up to about 2,000 cases, which is crazy. Blossomed to so yeah, much it's, more. It's it's a process for <laughs> so sure. So before we go forward, yeah. I have a couple questions. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, one, I imagine your winemaking at the corner like a lemonade stand to an extent, but maybe for adults. So instead of, you know, selling your handmade lemonade, you're... I just have this weird picture that like should be in a movie of yeah. you guys out there like with this basket press yeah. and distemmer and... I mean, you hear this garageist, you know, type thing, but I've never heard um, corner of Pennsylvania sure. and Oregon Avenue yep. type, you know, yeah. whatever. So paint me that picture sure. just a little well, bit more because I'm I so should, curious. I should say, so all of my Philadelphia brethren are probably shaking their fists at the air right now because back in, in Philadelphia, they pronounce it Argon instead of Oregon, which is a really funny thing. So I've that's learned to gas. enunciate it. And that's that's <laughs> something too, where, you know, the first thing you learn out here, here is it's Willamette, damn it, and not Willamette, you know, yes. so. Um, and not Oregon. Oregon, yeah, yes. exactly, yes. which, you know, to their credit, some folks back east definitely say it that way. So the thing with, in terms of the picture of that, I mean, in my head as I was describing it, I'm like picturing like the opening of like the Godfather, right? Like it, it's sepia toned in my head even still, which is really funny, but it was just this kind of magical moment of, there was no stand, so to speak, but it was really just, you know, my family, my my grandfather, my dad folding in and helping out too. And and we would just make it and it would be his to keep in the cellar and he'd give it out to friends and family of the neighborhood. And um, he was immensely proud of it. I mean, when we went to my grandparents' house, it was like my grandfather's wine or no wine, basically. <laughs> like it was just, you know, he'd, he'd kind of, you know, be competitive a little bit like, oh, you know, I made this, you know, how's it compared to that kind of thing, you know? So, but it was, his stuff was always great. And actually just recently when I was back East over the holidays, I, uh, my family still has a couple of wine jugs. My grandfather passed away, I want to say about 15, 16 years ago now, but before he passed, he was still, you know, doing some stuff and, and had some wine in the cellar. And so I opened up uh, a jug of um, old Cabernet Sauvignon of his, which is kind of neat. And it was still hanging on, which is really crazy. So really neat to see. I wish I could share, you know, what I'm doing now with him, but you know, I'll, I'll drink for two. It's no problem. It's, there. it's, yeah, you're, I'm sure you'll do just yeah, fine with yeah, that. Yeah. So was it mostly red then that you were yeah, making? Yeah, mostly red. I, I'd say it was probably all red, actually, looking back. You mostly know, Cab Sauv? Or it was, was it a little bit of yeah, combination? Yeah, it was, of it it was Cabernet Sauvignon. It was Merlot. It was uh, every once in a while, we'd find some Sangiovese. There are some interesting varietals planted in, in Pennsylvania. You know, not necessarily all uh, Vitis vinifera, but other species of grape varietals as well. But you do see things like Chambersan and stuff like that. They're a little more suited to the climate there. You're not going to, you know, I mean, maybe, you know, who knows with weather, but you could plant lots of different stuff there. So, yeah. Doing this podcast has made me realize that there's so many people that just randomly make wine yeah. in their garage or bathtubs or whatever. I, I grew up with a great uncle making mm -hmm. wine in Tillamook of all places. And I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. Mm -hmm. Like, why is this guy bringing his own unlabeled bottles of hooch and is it any good and it was i think it was probably a pinot and a chardonnay but now i'm realizing that maybe he wasn't so weird yeah and i just thought always oh, i'm like thought it was so weird but it obviously is not i think it's you know kind of going back to that idea of community or, or generosity in some regard i mean i think to break bread or to share you know, stuff that you make is, um, there's a really good feeling to it. I mean, I think a lot of winemakers and Nick, you could probably attest to this as well, is that it's such a fulfilling experience to make something and share it with other people, whether they're friends or, or family or, or new people that you're just meeting. It's really, um, the idea of it bringing people together is really, yeah, I think important. I think it's why we do it. Yeah. And I mean, for all of our family gatherings, it was pretty much Ralph's wine yeah. or no wine. Yeah. And so we, they drank Ralph's wine. Hey, nothing you know? wrong with there that. was nothing wrong with that. But now I'm understanding it's really not quite so weird. Yeah. So, okay, next question. I had no idea that urban wineries existed until a couple of years ago. 
I thought it was weird just because, you know, again, you know, the movies have portrayed winemaking as sprawling vineyards in Napa. So it surprises me that there was something in Brooklyn. And then when you're talking a crematorium, is this like burning dead people crematorium? I, I think so. Yeah, I think that's what it okay. was meant. But I mean, I believe it had previous iterations of businesses being like, I don't think the previous tenant was, it went from like crematorium to winemaking. But, you know, it was an older building in Brooklyn. So yeah, one of the, you know, things we were talking about off mic, obviously, was the whole ghost stuff. And something that I would always find really ridiculous there was that because I was working the graveyard shift, it was just me and the assistant winemaker at night. So they would close the bar and it would go dark, like all the lights off. And that's the side where the restroom was. And so at 3 a.m., when I had to wander over to the restroom anytime, I would be like dancing in place because I didn't want to go because it was terrifying. You'd have to use like the flashlight on your phone, you know, and find your way. And there were all types of noises and uncomfortableness. So yeah, I was, there was definitely some energy there for sure. I can only imagine the funk in the air too. I mean, because you're always talking about like the natural yeah. surroundings. Ambient, ambient and, yeast and yes, all that. Yes, sure. exactly. That's a so, little dark, but sure. <laughs> I, it just, I don't know. I totally went dark on that, yeah, but I'm like, yeah. as you're talking, I'm like, okay, yeah. Ambient formaldehyde. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> no preservatives in the wine whatsoever, but they I, last yeah, for I, ages. So, yeah. I, yeah, I can only imagine the creepiness, yeah. whether it was there or it was all in your mind, mm -hmm. made for a very interesting Absolutely. experience. Yeah. So was, um, welcome to Oregon. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so you've yeah. kind of gone the roundabout way of getting there. So 2017 is when you decided to kind of go out on your own now mm -hmm. that you've Worked for some winemakers up here, worked for Harvest, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So let's talk about the name because sure. you and I had talked about it when I came and did my little pre-podcast hangout yeah. with the pug and yeah, the sunshine yeah. and everything else. Well, he's certainly a part of the, he's kind of the boss. I mean, you know, when it's lunchtime or, or walk time, I mean, everything revolves around him. But on harvest days, sometimes you just have to kind of buckle down and get some get some work done. But um, yeah, the name Pray Tell is um, the reason I love it. So it came to be because I'm a classic overthinker, and there's I'm very grateful to have a, an army of um, supportive friends and family around me. And so with that, you know, there's no shortage of of opinions, obviously, and particularly in an Italian family. But you know, there were a number of different suggestions and names that I was thinking and all this stuff and. It kind of came up somewhat facetiously in the sense that someone had said something and it was like, really, that's what you think the name is, Pray Tell. And I just stopped in my tracks and thought, well, that's a great name, Pray Tell, because I started to think about it. And as someone who, you know, loves to write and thought I was going to be a writer out of college and all that, I just love the way it's kind of morphed in, in terms of its value of earnest curiosity, why is the sky blue, Pray Tell, to, you know, a little tongue in cheek, like, oh, you've got you know, an opinion about my quarantine weight gain, pray tell, you know, that kind of thing. And so, <laughs> so I think it's, uh, I love it because it is an expression of, I think the driving force of what, you know, I want the winery to represent, which is just constant curiosity. What grapes grow here? What's going to play together? You know, new ways to ferment, all that kind of stuff. And, and trying to make wines of pedigree, but at the same time, never taking myself too seriously, which I think sometimes you know, some of the energy around wine can be a little serious. And so I like the fact that it's kind of playful and tongue in cheek as well. So, so yeah, that's where the name comes from. Well, I think that's a great place to say, hold, stop, and let's refill glasses because sure. I have one sip of Chardonnay left in my glass. And yeah. I know there's one more wine on the table that has my name all over it. Okay. And then I want to get back into the labels for mm -hmm. one, because I'm a creative geek when it comes to that kind of stuff. And yeah. I love your vision and kind of how they, whatever. And then we're going to talk about the wine that's sitting on the table and other cool. projects that you have going on. So everybody who's listening, grab your glasses of wine. If you don't have one, shame on you. Um, go get one and we'll be right back. My glass is full. I think everybody at the table's glasses are full. Hopefully your all's glasses are full or you found something to drink anyways, because we're going to go back to talking about wine. Okay. Let's talk about what you, well, let's talk about what you brought because sure. what I just put in 
my glass is a blend of mm-hmm. lots of different um, things. It was very creative when you were telling me about it. Yeah. And so it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with, you know, keeping the vision pure, but then also looking at lots of different creative opportunities. Exactly. Yeah. So I think, you know, obviously the Willamette Valley and even Oregon to a certain extent have smartly become synonymous with world-class Pinot Noir. I mean, there's no denying that. And, you know, we're seeing other varietals that are so well-suited for the region here, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Gamay. And so something that I noticed early on just going out to taste around the valley and working in the valley for for as long as I have is, is that we really, as kind of a winemaking community, tend to get pretty granular with the wines that we're making and how we sell them. You know, you get so much metadata in, you know, a tasting room where if somebody has an estate vineyard, you know, they'll have, you know, I think of some places out here where they'll actually, beyond just doing single vineyard, they'll do, you know, block by block bottlings of Pinot Noir. And um, I can get super, super geeky with that. I think it's super cool. But something I started to think about when I started my own brand and that the fact that I was working with, you know, a number of different sites. Last year, I worked with seven different vineyards and six different grape varietals. was that I wanted to start to see, like unpack what a zoomed out look of the Willamette Valley felt like. So instead of getting, you know, everything under a microscope, start to see like, what is a broader sense of terroir look like here? And so part of that is just kind of grounded in exploration. It's me having been out here for nine years now and having really good familiarity with sites, but also trying to learn from new sites every year and and practicing and, and kind of sharpening the blade with each individual varietal as well. So my whole thing is I try to make Pinot Noir and Chardonnay and Gamay as single varietal bottlings every year. And I try to approach those in a way that, you know, is really trying to pay respect to where they're coming from and a little more of that site specificity. Um, whereas I also try to do some more playful stuff. And so the wine that's in your glass right now is kind of my bird's eye view of the Willamette Valley. So it's actually a blend of four different grape varietals. It's Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, and Gamay. The whole idea with it is to really kind of, you know, zoom out and see what consistencies at that level match consistencies of flavor and structure and varietal typicity to some regard in a much more specific under the microscope, so to speak, kind of approach and and seeing what through line there is and what, you know, differences and what can be learned in both of those scenarios. So I co-fermented some of the the grapes here. So the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Gris were co-fermented and then the Chardonnay and the Pinot Gris were co-fermented. And then I had a little bit of Gamay and Pinot Gris co-ferment as well, but played around with some locally made uh, terracotta amphora and neutral French oak there. Yeah, just meant to be, you know, I think a pretty light on its feet red wine that's pretty versatile when it comes to food pairing. Also just something easy enough to drink, you know, right out of the bottle if you really wanted to. It's it's kind so, of a smorgasbord of yeah. like like the coverments mm-hmm. and stuff. I like I don't know if I've heard or drank anything in that realm. Yeah. And it is. It's a really nice, light mm-hmm. red wine that you could, I think you could pair it with anything. Well, thank it's you. It's going to yeah. go good with our empanadas and our, I think so. our skewers yeah. from my step-in yeah. food partner next door because my regular one just couldn't make it today. Yeah. But Ricky Piravita, massive shout out. This is going to go great with what he made and I'm brought excited. us today to snack on and eat because yeah. we always snack afterwards. I, I love wines in this category too, when you think about food and wine pairing. I mean, not just my own wine, but you know, other wines that are kind of in this style. And I think the, you know, orange wine can kind of feel that way as well, where it feels a little bit like a Swiss army knife on a, on a dinner table. You know, it's like, what do you have? You know, what did you make? You know, let's see if it's compared with this and, and just kind of putting it through its paces a little bit. And I think it's fun to make wine in, in that, you know, style for sure. I agree. I like it. Okay. Let's talk about these other two because sure. they are interesting as well. You didn't bring us the single varietals. You brought us the the creative. I didn't. You know, I think masterpieces. Yeah. Well, well, you know, they're all I think really cool little snapshots of the journey and exploration. So, you know, wine is such a great storyteller. You know, and and particularly, I mean, I could probably go off on a tangent as many winemakers probably could about how Chardonnay is just like such a amazing varietal to work with because it offers this level of transparency in terms of decision making. You know, where is it grown? How is it fermented? You know, what's it aged in? All that stuff really seem to come through, in my opinion, with Chardonnay. And so it's been fun to kind of, you know, crack open what Chardonnay looks like in my cellar and start to explore that. So in 2020, I made two different Chardonnays. One was a little more kind of like, just kind of like elegant and 
I don't want to say Burgundian in style because I think that that might be a misnomer. I think it's a little more just Willamette Valley in style. It's direct press. It's very pretty. It's in a combination of new and neutral oak and aged and, and, and really just a lovely wine. But I tried to kind of see what the bookends of Chardonnay start to look like in my cellar. And so with Chardonnay grapes picked on the same day, I decided to look at one that was, you know, kind of the traditional style that I've been following and kind of honed over the years. And another that was going for richness in Chardonnay without relying on the influence of new oak to build richness. And so with the Chardonnay uh, that I poured for you earlier, that is a combination of two barrels, but basically two different fermenters. So one was skin contact Chardonnay for 36 hours, and the other was a skin contact Chardonnay for seven days. And so with Chardonnay, which isn't a particularly phenolic grape varietal, I was trying to see where the cliff is in terms of the longer you let the juice and the skin sit in contact with one another, you know, at what point does tannin profile and structure kind of like hit its edge and then kind of drop off? Because you could, you know, leave stuff in, indefinitely really and just see, you know, how long it really looks. And so that's just an expression of, you know, that study in 2020. And then we have uh, the 2021 orange wine, which is mostly Pinot Gris and a little bit of Chardonnay. 2021 was just an exceptional vintage out here. And so really fun fruit to work with. The Pinot Gris comes from a vineyard that's planted at a thousand feet elevation. So really high elevation was the last thing I brought in during harvest and decided to, you know, had all this beautiful fresh acidity, which is really great. But again, Pinot Gris kind of on the opposite end of Chardonnay is a lot more phenolic. So if you leave it in contact, the juice in contact with the skin for a while, it could feel really tannic. And so I was just trying to kind of find that prettiness again. And I think that that's my approach on everything is trying to kind of coax out kind of the lighter, prettier styles of wine. That's generally what I gravitate towards. And then the last one was was what we talked about, which was the blend of the four different varietals. And so I've also, you know, got Pinot Noir and, and Gamay that I'm in the process of blending right now. And then I made some Syrah from the Rocks AVA, which is out kind of further in the Columbia River Gorge and some Merlot, and then also a little bit of Dolcetto from Eola Amity Hills as well. So all over the place in terms of um, of exploration for sure. I think it's fun when you have you know, things that are outside of the the normal, traditional, you know, Willamette Valley. For sure. You know, varietals, things. Having something other than Pinot and Chardonnay to gravitate towards and to lean on and to explore and try out is just, I personally enjoy the hell out of it, um, just because it it kind of messes with your palate and keeps things fresh. But then you discover new things that you really like. I mean, we were talking before we came in here, we had some wine down in Belize that one came from Argentina and one was French. And I didn't like either of them. I gave them to the chef to cook with, which it, it just was what it was. But I think as you start tasting all these different kinds of wines from around the world and even throughout the valley, you find what you like, yeah. whether it's high acid or something that's really thick and rich or, mm. you know, whatever. And for me, those two wines just weren't worth it. So I went back to beer, yeah. you know, and there's nothing wrong with that, I don't think, you yeah. know, but having that varietal and that variety to, you know, explore and learn and whatever, I think helps you kind of also hone in what you truly enjoy. Yeah. I think just from the winemaking side of things, I think what I really love about that level of diversity in the cellar is that it helps you kind of avoid kind of falling into any habits in terms of winemaking. There's no, there's no recipe, there's no singular approach every year. Instead, it's, you know, what did I learn from this varietal last year and how, like, what can I take from that and maybe try on Pinot Noir this year? How to continue to, to kind of differentiate how you handle, you know, one grape varietal based on the experience of working with others, which I find a lot of value in and I certainly uh, hope to continue doing for sure. I think it's fun. That's what's fun about wine is that it's it's different every year. Yeah. Everybody has a different style or way of doing it. And that's just what makes it so unique and fun. So, and speaking of unique and fun is these labels. This isn't one of those things that you call the graphic designer and say, hey, I want popsicles on my labels. Yeah. It, this is truly an art project that comes kind of as an inspiration. Yeah, for sure. A piece of advice that I was given years ago by another winemaker was to plow to the end of the row. So for me, when I wanted to have, you know, my own label, I really wanted to own as much of that process as possible. And I think goes beyond just the winemaking for me. I wanted to have that story come through on the exterior of the bottle too. And so trying to figure out and beyond the name, which was a fun process and trying to come up with was the aesthetic for the brand. Something that I had, you know, tried was painting it. I tried drawing it. I tried 
graphic design stuff. I was doing all this stuff myself, but my uncle who runs a, an art camp and a farm out in Ireland, he and his wife have this amazing project out there. He had recommended, he's like, why don't you try cutting it out? And it just, something just clicked there where growing up in Philadelphia, there was this amazing art collection there. It was at the Barnes Foundation. It was all these pieces from Henri Matisse. When he was later in life, he could no longer paint. And so he started to cut things out. And they're just this really simple, but like amazingly beautiful pieces that he did. And so kind of referring back to those and, and starting to play around with some of the imagery that I was coming up with, it just felt like a natural fit. And I think the synergy too of just kind of the, the energy of the brand and just winemaking in general was, you know, I think back to childhood, like what is the first or one of the first artistic endeavors you, you do as a kid? And it's usually, you know, some construction paper and those little safety scissors and you're clipping away at stuff. And so I thought trying to make something really beautiful out of, you know, the simplest of material is, is kind of akin to trying to make, you know, a really good wine out of, out of grapes. And so it just felt like this really beautiful parallel and just a way to continue to express, you know, what's in the bottle on the outside of the bottle, basically. I cut everything out of paper myself. And then I also, I know the bottles in front of us don't really have wax on them, but I'll blend all the wax colors myself. So I'll stand over a crock pot, probably breathing in too many fumes of things I shouldn't be, but, and I'll just start with primary colors and try to find the color palette that works with the label too. So that's kind of the approach to building the dressing of the bottle, so to speak. So, yeah. I love it. Thank you. I love it. I mean, Appreciate I think it. it's just, it's again, one more level of creativity that makes what all you guys do is unique and fun and um, yeah. so lovable. Well, now we need to find you and yes. people need to buy the wine and enjoy the art project that you have literally sure. put on and in the bottle. I think it's a great way to describe this entire business as an art project. <laughs> um, so the wines are available for folks in Oregon. They're distributed up in, in throughout the state. So they're up in Portland and in some restaurants and some shops up there. And they're certainly available through the winery. So you can go to uh, praytellwines.com. That's P-R-A-Y-T-E-L-L. They're distributed around the country, so in, in different states. So I'm up and down the East Coast and Chicago and Colorado and Texas and California soon and North Carolina coming up. So so they're certainly getting out there in the world. But if you ever want to find them directly from me, yeah, praytellwines.com. There's a shop and you can get them shipped right to you. And if they want to come tasting? If they want to come tasting. So we didn't talk too much about this, but the winery is a thousand square foot garage box, basically, uh, in downtown McMinnville that I insulated like crazy and got the right power for and all that fun stuff. We can barrel taste. And I always joke that it's not the million dollar views that some other neighbors have, which I love to go and relax at, but uh, hopefully we'll drink some good wine and listen to some good music. So certainly welcome to reach out via email, just tom at praytellwines.com and happy to have you come through. And you get to hang out with the shop dog. You get to hang out with the shop dog. You get to hang out with me. He's more fun, but yeah. 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 I don't know. It's a different opinion, <laughs> so... Okay, Tom, thanks so much. My pleasure. Thank for you for having coming me. and hanging out with us. And next up is the Nick Keeler of Authentique or however else he said that, that I can't remember. But anyways, he's awesome too. So don't fill your glasses yet because, you know, just don't. Unless you have something really special to put in there and then do that. And we'll be right back. Okay, Nick Keeler, it's your turn, my friend. And you may have gotten the award for the most bottles on the table at one time. This is impressive. Thank you so much. I was in the cold room and indecisive on which bottles to bring. And there, uh, these ones stood out to me today. And I thought I was going to make a decision, you know, last minute when I was here, which ones I'd open. But then I started opening the wines and I said, let's just do them all. Let's that is the best answer probably <laughs> ever, right? Absolutely. And let me like officially, yeah. like legitimately introduce you. Thank you. This is Nick Keeler with Authentique Wines. He's also going to tell you how to pronounce it his way, which is a lot fancier than I. But Nick is, um, well, let's just say this. Nick gave me probably one of the best birthday presents I've had in a long time. And I don't think he really realized it was my birthday until probably three quarters of the way through the tasting and stuff. But it was so great. We spent time in the vineyard. We drank through wine. We went to the top tier of the platform of the property and looked over the entire valley. It was so phenomenal. 
And I just, I just couldn't, you know, I just couldn't thank you enough. So thank you for making that day so special. You're welcome. It was a magical day. It was such a beautiful sunshine, first of September. Um, and it was a great day. Happy birthday again. Well, you know that I'm going to call you when it's my birthday this coming year. So September 1st, just so y'all know, watch my Instagram because Nick's going to take me on a another vineyard extravaganza adventure. Yeah, I can't wait. He just doesn't know it yet. I can't (laughs) wait. Yeah, you survived the Kubota ride up there to the deck. Yes. Yeah. That's my favorite part. Yeah, my dad just built that deck, so I have to give him, you know, some props right now for doing that. And has a beautiful view looking right towards the uh, Van Duzer corridor and the coast. And um, yeah. Now that I've given you like massive props for the amount of wine that you brought, plus my birthday date, Let's get into your story and, and all about Nick Keeler and his winemaking path, because that's kind of where we always start. And we've kind of circumvented the entire thing and started with the end, and we need to start from the beginning. Sure. And I'm happy we're going to uh, taste through all these wines again, too. And we're going to be drunk. Uh, doing if we it, literally doing it taste, again. Let's do it again. Like, literally, if we taste you know, through all of these, we're all yeah. going to need rides home. Yeah. And that's why I'm a winemaker, is because I love creating these amazing uh, wines. Well, I can only imagine with what's sitting here. Well, we started with the Pinot Gris. So we started from the beginning. You put them all in order. And if any of them are like what this Pinot Gris is, we are in for a treat today. Thank you so much. Yes. So I should probably tell you my story. Please. <laughs> You've asked me. And I Please. Haven't, haven't no, I, we keep kind of getting Because I'm trying to diverted. figure out my story. I haven't figured out my story yet, but we'll We'll start from the beginning. That's Um, a good place to start. I was born in Portland, Oregon. Get it? I am from Oregon, (laughs) and I grew up in the uh, town of Sherwood, Oregon. Go Sherwood Bowman. A little shout out to my uh, (laughs) football coach. Yeah, my homies, my football coach, John Hackworth. Lock and load, boys, he would say before we'd go out. Lock and load. So what's up, Hack? Um, Yeah, so I grew up in Sherwood, and I went to Oregon State University. I grew up in the Valley. My dad had a business in Tualatin, Oregon, international business. During Christmas, he would bring us Eiswein from Germany. And my mom is German, too. My great-grandfather was a wine merchant in Germany, actually. So growing up... We would enjoy ice wine for Christmas. And that's and usually holidays. sweet. And it right? was kind of sweet. Yeah. It was kind of it was sweet. But at the time I liked sweet things. I was just a kid. And it sort of opened my eyes to wine. And then just my parents sometimes would have host parties and they would have caterers come. And then I kind of got in, oh, what do you make in here? These wontons are so delicious. And, you know, I kind of grew up fascinated by wine fascinated by food. So when I was in college, I decided to study abroad. I studied in Oaxaca, Mexico. Uh, There I kind of um, learned all about uh, native culture. There's like so many different cultures that come to the city of Oaxaca to trade goods and food. The markets are incredible there. Um, I tasted a lot of mezcal. I studied in Barcelona after that where I got into drinking cava and learning a little bit about Spanish wine, and I studied art. By the way, Tom, your wines are delicious. Those oh, were you. super fresh. Thank beautiful. You. Appreciate it. Uh, really love the Preto wines. So yeah, I um, studied in Barcelona, and in college I studied international business and Spanish. I wasn't sure I would go into the wine industry at that time, but by living in the valley, I would go out and wine tasting. So I can remember Memorial Day weekends, being at Cameron, discovering his Chardonnays while I was in college, just tasting throughout the valley. And I looked up to those people so much, walking in their cellars, the aromas, hearing their stories in their tasting rooms, their personalities, and um, it just fascinated me. And I met a friend uh, named Felix Madrid from Carlo and Julian. Talked to him about winemaking. I asked him a lot of questions. And in 1999, right after college, he helped me make uh, about four barrels of wine in my dad's shop before the Keeler Estate Vineyard uh, was planted. So I basically started as a garagist, making wine as a hobby, having friends come over and help me. And like Tom, we had like a hand crank destemmer. 
played some classic rock, 106.3. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, Most people and, don't, uh, of the younger generation, yeah. have no idea what yeah. you just said. Yeah. It's, it's like Sirius Radio, Pandora, Spotify. Yeah, yeah but back I think then, it was just called rock back then, yeah, right? It wasn't yes. even classic. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, still, it's just rock. <laughs> we like to rock. So we rocked out and uh, made some, I made some wa- hobby wines and I fell in love with it. I started working at other wineries in the valley and one and trying to um, kind of switch my career and move more into the wine industry. And by making my wines as a hobby, I bought some new barrels from Rick De Ferrari, who's the owner of Oregon Barrel Works. And he, in McMinnville. In McMinnville. I had no idea there was a cooperage in McMinnville until I took a class from Linfield. And I'm like, this yeah. is so mind-blowing. It, it's like... It is so cool. I remember him working on uh, tanks at the time for Beaufort, like refurbishing tanks, talking to him about his Francois Frere barrels that he represented and all the wineries that use Francois Frere in Burgundy and Oregon. And so I bought some Francois Frere barrels from him. And when I was there, he was like, you know, another great way to get into the wine industry is to represent a French cooperage because you can go around and taste wines, meet a lot of different winemakers, and learn a lot that way. Here's three cooperages looking for an agent, and I think this one's the best. So because of Rick, he like recommended Tonellery Allery, and so I started with him in 2006, and I am now their uh, national sales director still to this day. But that experience was incredible for me. Uh, I got to go to France, taste in Bordeaux, taste in Burgundy, taste in Napa, throughout Oregon, Washington, Eastern Washington. I met so many people and personalities, and I had to learn to work with a winemaker to understand what their objectives are with their winemaking and how French oak barrels um, could be a part of that or could help enhance what they do. Or, And so I learned a lot by tasting and tasting over and over. You know, I made some mistakes the first years, tasting with winemakers or recommending the, the wrong barrel. But I think a lot with winemaking is the experience. The more you work with a vineyard, the more vintages you have with it, and the different variables that happen each year, the more you understand that vineyard. Same thing with oak. The more I work with different types of forests, different grain types, different regions, toast levels, varietals. You get to know a lot about French oak that way too. So I was making, um, yeah, I was selling barrels, learning more. And in 2011, I had enough money to buy some grapes and start my own project. Authentique or authentique in French, but I think it's just easier to pronounce it here, authentique wine cellars, which is authentic. And basically, the idea behind the name is I'm from Oregon, making Oregon wines. And I try to do it in a manner where I don't over manipulate the wines. I really want to capture the essence of where we're from in my wines. That said, I love complexity, but I build complexity in natural ways in my winemaking. And um, so, yeah, Authentique, uh, began in 2011, which was a cold year. We harvested November 1st, some of our vineyards, which is wild. Wow, that's late. We're now like, yeah, we're like last year we were in September, like mid-September for some of the uh, the vineyards I worked with. So since 2011, I have been learning about Keeler Estate Vineyard, my family's estate, biodynamic farmed, organic farmed, certified Um, I've been buying grapes from my mom and dad since 2011, and I've had the pleasure of working with other incredible single vineyards in the uh, Valley. Ridgecrest, Wynn Peterson Nedry, uh, Harry Peterson Nedry. One of our favorites. They are amazing. I called Wynn up, and um, I talked to her, and she was so kind to refer me to her father, and they sold me some a few tons from Ridgecrest Vineyards, like the first planted vineyard in the Ribbon Ridge AVA. I was so proud that I got to make a wine, and we have it here, the 2016 And it's Ridge at the Crest. very end of the wine. Yeah. And then, so, wind came down. I had a place in St. Helena for a couple of years because I was making wine here, 
But I also rented a house down there because I was selling barrels in Napa, and that's a big market for me. So anyways, wind came down, Barbara Gross came down, and we had a blast for two days down there. And now Barbara owns Shahala Mountain Vineyard, which is the very last single vineyard designate on the lineup. So what's up, Barbara? <laughs> I <laughs> love all the shout-outs that are going. What up, Babs? Well, Felix in the house. I mean, that you didn't you need to give Win like the good whoop whoop yeah, Win. Whoop. Yeah, I always called her Win whoop whoop Win. Yeah, <laughs> I wish we could get these hand <laughs> gestures on <laughs> yes. out there for sure. Yeah, I remember uh, snowboarding with Win one time, and we had this like crazy radio station out on the parking lot after we were done snowboarding. And uh, cracked open a couple Rainiers, and we were like dancing to some crazy African rhythm. It was awesome. Vita- was awesome. Vitamin R will do that to you. It'll- <laughs> vitamin R. Yes. Uh, my friend had a house in at Oregon State, and we called it. Uh, I think it was like a Chateau Ranier. Oh, yeah, geez. Chateau Ranier. Yes. Well, Welcome. I'm classy, from, classy know, joint. Yeah. Well, it was just vitamin <laughs> R where I'm from. Yes. Yes. It's it's good shit. So, so. I'm just uh, really excited to make wine, and I love making wine with and surrounding myself with great people to help me along the way. Family good friends who I buy grapes from, people that I can really trust. And then in the winery, everyone that makes wine with me, we do everything with intent. We care about every step. We care about everything being clean. That said, we also want to be as gentle as we can while making these wines. So if we can use gravity, the softest, you know, handling of the wine. But sometimes I guess you do have to like tannin extraction, color extraction, things like that. Sometimes we'll switch from pump overs to, let's say, punch downs if I want to get a little more out of a certain vineyard. It really depends. I kind of how you have to flow. You have to be in that flow state when you're making wine. Well, I think, you know, it's like with, you know, whether we're talking about Tom and his art project, you know, with the whatever, I think it just kind of goes with whatever the mood is and kind of whatever the emotion is kind of taking you to. And I'm assuming that's kind of, you kind of go with the flow. And I always say fly by the seat of your pants. And maybe there is a grand plan. But, you know, I think, I, I think again, that's what's beautiful about wine. And yes. I've already dipped into the second wine. Um, oh, wow. And it's... Did you not see me grab it in front of front of you and pour it? I was, it pour it? I was too busy in, in my flow? own brain. I yeah. was in the flow thinking of like all sorts of stuff. We should have put it at the other end and, yeah. and watched her go through the gauntlet really quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See how much she wanted that reason. Well, uh, I want to talk about all of these. And so I've already refilled my glass for the second time because apparently I'm the lush in the room. And so um, I'm going to... Respect. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> you know, there's worse things I've been known by, I guess. So let's just take a quick breather and I'm going to finish this Riesling that's delicious, by the way. We're going to talk about it and then move on to the third of the limit. Literally three out of 12 bottles have been tasted. So anyhow, stop, drink, refill. Stop, drink, and roll. Yes. This Riesling's dope. Yeah, I, I love Oaxaca, and I'm quite keen on making a mezcal there. I met a incredible mezcalero down there in 2020. And so, um, yeah, look out. I've got some fun new projects coming I, up. I I've got a few fun sign projects. Sign me up for a case of that already. Mezcal is my, like, favorite. Um, and I've, and gonna, I've, ne- and I've never it had in, it. Uh, in long. neutral Chardonnay barrels. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll bring France, Oregon, and Mexico together in a... In a mezcal. Oh yeah, or or Bruno, or yeah, we've got yeah, we're, several. We're, uh, yes, we're, we got to bring them in. Yeah, or, or their barrels. Yes. yes. Okay. Nick told me he texted me last week. He's like, I have so much mind blowing stuff. You're going to be blown away. And so, not only do we have twelve bottles of mind blowing wine, but we have now been informed that there is a mezcal coming, which I've never had. So it's we're Delicious. just going to so. Just plan on there being a party, either at my house or maybe at the office. Or Andy Lytle keeps offering up at the Joy, so yes. maybe we'll just go to at the Joy and and just have a big old blowout up there with lots of wine and friends. So let's get into this lineup of wine. I apparently am very sneaky with my drinking because I've 
snuck two wines out from underneath y'all without you even seeing me do it. So just on the keep up train at this point, I guess. Going so we, are, I'm on number three. I'm on the Chardonnay. So we have gone Pinot Gris. We've done Riesling, and now we're on the Chardonnay. And I think there's another. Is there another Chardonnay after this one? Uh, there is. So um, and so we'll be here for a while. Okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we want to talk to Nick about all of these wines because he is the mastermind behind all of them. They have great labels. The labels have meaning. And I want you to like tell the world about everything that you brought and what you're doing. All right. We'll go from left to right yes. with Lady Leisure. Well, actually, this is just Leisure. It's a skin contact Pinot Gris. I make it from organic and biodynamic certified grapes, native fermentation. Skin contact is in between 8 to 14 days, depending on the vintage. I'm after a complex, fresh, orange skin contact wine. I just, like Just for the record, I like Lady Leisure better than just Leisure. It sounds, you know, sounds lady, very sexy and a little bit naughty, and it does have a little bit of a naughty quality to it. It's good. It does. Her sister, well, actually, she's got Lady Leisure has a few sisters, so you'll see on certain labels there'll be you know, three, it's really sort of, they're like flapper girl kind of 1920s images. There's some surreal aspects to the label. Some of the wines I make are more irreverent, you know. Like Tom, I have a Pinot Gris Chardonnay, but then I added a uh, a white Pinot Noir to it too. Nice. And so um, I have a Riesling Pinot Gris under the Leisure label too that was just uh, labeled as well. But the flagship is the Skin Contact Pinot Gris. That's what I make the most of, and that's what you'll see beyond Oregon. Awesome. Um, I make this wine for fun. Like, leisure is about fun and enjoyment. The next wine in the lineup is the 2020 Authentique Bremen Town Riesling. So my family, half of my family is from Germany. My mom grew up in Bremen, Germany. My uncle lives there. My cousins live there. I had the pleasure of hanging out when I was studying in Barcelona with my grandmother and my grandfather, who, uh, yeah, he fought in World War II. He was actually captured by the British in World War II, told me they gave him one of the best cigarettes he's ever smoked in his life. <laughs> um, he greeted me with a shot of Prussian Goldschlager, and oh. it was really cool when I met him. So the labels, I like these historical maps from where I'm from. So most of the labels are all different cities in Oregon. But because it's a Riesling and because of my German ancestry, I wanted to have showcase Bremen. So there's a beautiful old map of Bremen on the label. My mom used to read me a story called The Traveling Musicians of Bremen or The Bremen Town Musicians. I loved that story because that's all the yeah. animals that did that sang, right? Yeah, you've got a cat, a dog, a, a donkey. donkey. Yeah. And they walked around the town and they sang and they played music. And it was just a cute story that I remember loving to hear and I remember the book. So all of that is in this Riesling. And the Riesling itself, it's the first one I've made. 70% of the grapes come from Boisjoli Vineyard, which are our neighbors. Barb and Rob, shout out to them. They have the Amity Flats in Amity. It's an amazing place Oh, there. it's a great place it's, to stay. Yes. And, and just... Love them and their vineyard, which looks west over the city of Amity and into the coastal mountains, just 750, 800 foot at the very top elevation. This Riesling had a little bit of botrytis on it. It's all whole cluster pressed, fermented in concrete egg, aged in concrete for eight months. And then I racked and aged it in neutral extra tight grain Chardonnay barrels for eight months diligent topping, and just uh, what a complex, awesome Riesling that turned out to be. It's delicious. Native fermentation. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's so, lights so out. good. Very good. Yes. Nice work on your first time out of the gate. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, 2017 Authentique Fond Marin. So Fond Marin is the sea bottom, and we're dealing with marine sedimentary soils from the vineyards that I work with to make this 2017 Fond Marin Chardonnay. It's whole cluster press, minimal settling. Some barrels are filled direct from the press pan. It has some minerally. You can taste kind of the minerals in it. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, for 17, uh, you know, it's just this was the most balanced and beautiful Chardonnay uh, that I made. And that was that blend. And then 
Heidi is pouring the 2019, which is a cooler he's vintage. Thought, thought I'm keeping yeah, up with you, was, Heidi. Let's yeah. go. 2019, cooler vintage. I love the lemongrass, the mineral, and the freshness of that wine. Beautiful acidity. Ooh. I had that with uh, Dungeness crab and butter, and it was perfect pairing. There's definitely a big difference between the last one that had almost like oyster shelly. I don't know yeah. if that's... Seashell, definitely. Yeah, and this one, it definitely has that lemony for sure um, burst kind mm-hmm. of it's like to it's, it. it's racy and the 17 had this like kind of like cool almost like marzipan like like sweetness to it on the nose too mm-hmm. just showing development yeah really I, cool. I have to commend you uh tom because marzipan and hazelnut is inherent to our vineyard in yeah. a lot of the wines you can pick that out so nice job Thanks. Nice Th- that was true wine geek <laughs> yeah pulling oh, that I'm out sure, i'm yes. sure we could go go deep on this <laughs> yes. it'll be good Okay, what else we got, Nick? We want to get through um, as much yeah. of this as we can. All right. So yes. uh, I spoke to the 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next wine coming up is Windridge 2019 Pinot Noir. We'll go four, then three. It's called, um, it's called a revisit, also, Shay. You've got to revisit. Also, these wines, it's hard. My wines, I, I think... I try to make wines that entertain you and that change. So they're pretty complex. So it'll be fun for you all to revisit because you'll see that there'll be more weight on the mid palate on the 2019 in just four minutes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> four minutes exact. Set your stopwatches. Windridge. Also, that's a vineyard that Harry and Wynn own. And 2019 cooler vintage. This was fermented in a 10 hectoliter upright couve. You know, we're looking at about 30 to 40% new oak in this wine. And yeah, it's it's done. It's got some great scores and I'm thrilled about this wine. I can't wait for you guys to taste it coming up soon. The 2018 Teapot Vineyard. There was an old winery in the 80s, 90s, Tempest. And their vineyard was called Teapot. So, Which is so cute. Yeah, exactly. Uh, don't make it a tempest in a teapot, Heidi. <laughs> <laughs> it's no big deal. 2017 Keeler Estate Vineyard. We're in the far northwest corner of the Eola Amity Hills. And you can get these beautiful feminine stone fruit, orange peel, savory, cherry, what I love about Keeler Estate Vineyard is it's moody, it's complex, it's biodynamic fruit, and it changes on you all the time. 2016, the corridor, the namesake is the Van Duzer Corridor, just to our west. These are vineyards impact Eola Amity Hills AVA, which is directly impacted by the cooling influence of the Van Duzer Corridor. So when heat rises, we get the winds from the coast, allowing us to have more phenolic development in our vineyard. Then we've got the 2016, which is an awesome vintage, close to my heart, Gautier Allery of Tonellery Allery, who is now the president, came out to work that vintage with me. And my man, the assistant winemaker, Jose Arguelles, who also has Arguelles Vineyard Services, who's one person I can count on at 2.30 in the morning when you're trying to get stuff cleaned up. And he will be there till the end, 4 a.m., Gautier was there till the end. These guys are champions. They know how to work late and get up early and do what it takes to make world-class wines. And that was just great synergy of friendship. And I'll, I have a future with both of them, with the Tenelli Allery Cooperage, with friendship, and Jose with Authentique and his own label, which he's now making, Arguelles. So awesome to taste these unfined, unfiltered 2016s in the end. The beauty of the wine industry, at least in Oregon, is all these synergistic friendships that are created through the vineyards, the cooperages, the different winemakers. I mean, it's just restaurant owners. We'll just say it the this simple way because I can't speak. You know, but you end up with all these great stories, these great energies, and just all this amazing wine, food, and stuff that comes out of it. And it's just it's so unique and it's so fun. I mean, it just creates just amazingness start to finish. Um, <laughs> you guys are a noise nightmare. <laughs> I've been scolded four times. This is when you're six, six wines. De- well, no, we had th- Tom's three wines and now we're five or six wines deep. Yeah, thank Nick. God I didn't bring more. Jeez. No kidding. We'd never go home. 
Nick, you have brought this beautiful snapshot of what authentique and a lot of Eole Amity Hills and Keeler Estates. And we all need to know where to find you, my friend. <clears throat> you can find me at, just go to the website, Authentique Wine Cellars. That's A-U-T-H-E-N-T-I-Q-U-E, Wine Cellars, C-E-L-L-A-R-S.com. My phone number, my cell phone's on there. Give me a call, make an appointment, and come taste at the Keeler Estate Vineyard by appointment only. And maybe he'll take you in the UTV and take you to the upper deck of the property. Is there hammocks up there? Yes. Uh, there, <laughs> I'm and never I think leaving. We need, I think we need more, but I mean, to roll out and lay on those hammocks looking west and seeing the sunset or Sunday mornings with champagne, a little all-classical Portland Sunday brunch on, it is awesome. We've got barbecues up there. We've got a nice... You know, There's patio tables. And it's like a yeah. meadow, so you can have, you can stretch out, bring families. I like dogs. This, this hammock tip. I'm going to get oh, some for hammocks. the parking lot. For I yes. am a new <laughs> fan of hammocks. Uh, yes, you need yeah, one at your place too, yeah. Tom. Yes. Lavish naps after, yes. after a late night Oh boy, amazing. Yes. Well, this has been beyond fun. We've had great conversations. We've got all kinds of weird information out of the both of you, which makes everything better when it's a little bit odd, right? We have food to go eat. So thank you so much. Well, and a lot more wine to drink. We haven't even gotten halfway Seriously? through Nick's, you know, trophy of wine. We've wines. got work to do. Jeez, do some yes, work. yes. So anyways, thank you to you both. Oh, I almost forgot the questions. This is where this gets really important and very serious. We'll start with Tom. Uh-oh. Okay, million dollar question. You get to take one person, dead or alive, that's famous, typically celebrity-ish. Okay. One wine and a snack. Oh, Heidi. I need time. <laughs> no, you don't. Okay, so Just... one person dead or alive. Yes. Any wine and a snack. Yes. What am I doing? Going on a picnic at Nick's. <laughs> Jeez Louise. There's so many people I want to take up there now that I know hammocks are in the, in the play. It has to be a celebrity? Somebody that we all know. Hmm. Hmm. Huh. Nick, do you have an answer queued up for this? Because I could I could think Same on it. Same question for Nick. And he can come hang out at your place. I don't care where you guys go, but I think we'd probably both go hang out at your place <laughs> in that scenario. Oh my goodness. This is this is really hard. It is, but it's it's you have to have that person like top of mind. Who do you want to go hang out at with and chill? Yeah. I mean, like my initial thing, I would say, like, this is probably enormously cheesy, but I would have said if I could do my grandfather with a bottle of my wine at Nick's place, that'd be good. Just to show what I'm up to and see. Sure. Him. But he's not famous. So I would say if there's no issue on budget for no budget. which wine that we're doing, I mean, yeah, probably get like crazy with it. Let's get some DRC or, you know, some like Clola Nior uh, Sauvignon Blanc for a nice sunny day. Go sit outside. And who am I taking with me? I am going to take, maybe I'll take Paul McCartney. I don't know. There you go. Let's go Paul McCartney. I like Paul McCartney. I like the Beatles. And then maybe he'll sing me a medley on a hillside. It's a dream. All right. Don't worry about it. This but is this is all be, dream and this yeah. is all like fantasy. Yeah. But yeah. So me and Paul down, I was going to say down, at, that's me and Julio down at the schoolyard. But me and Paul <laughs> on the hillside drinking some crazy stuff. Okay, Nick. Top Paul McCartney. <clears throat> oh, man. He's good. He goes, he I would good. like to He's hang like, out with Paul McCartney, too. Ringo and me are doing <laughs> it. You could take John Lennon. You guys could have all kinds of arguments yeah. on the hill. Yeah. Gracious. Who would I take? And what would I drink? Let me see. I would take Ava Gardner, Ooh. a bottle of DRC, and go to the Maldives. See what Ooh, happens. I like that. See and we forgot happens. the snacks. You cannot oh, forget the snacks. snacks. Mm. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm going to keep it super simple. I would love like just some wonderful fresh made bread, some Parmigiano Reggiano, maybe a little buffalo mozzarella and some olive oil. Dig it. Hillside. Do it. What's your snack? They're all looking at me. That's because you, <laughs> you, 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 you didn't pick a snack. I, I've got to pick a snack. So I would pick a, I would pick paella. Nice. Yeah, it's a good snack. Yeah. It's a good meal. <laughs> a it's good a good snack. snack. I'm hungry. I'm a, I'm yeah. a big snacker. Yeah. <laughs> Has anyone ever asked you 
Yes, actually, I got the tables turned on me with Alex Sokolblosser. And I, I was unwarned. And I'm just like, damn, shit, nobody's ever asked me that. Yeah. And so I'm going with Steven Tyler. Okay. And um, I forget what wine I took. I think I was taking a Breton Syrah. Because that was like my aha wine. Like yeah. that wine that you're like, yeah. okay, I get this now. So a bottle of Breton Syrah and... I like potato chips and chips and salsa, so I was probably taking that with classic. me too. Keep it yeah. classic. But Stephen like Tyler and I, we are gonna be buddies. That would be fun. So many yet. scarves. There's just scarves everywhere. Oh, can you imagine? We yeah. tie them in my hair. Yeah. And... Forget the picnic blanket. It's yes. just a pile of scarves. I dig Love it. it. Yes, probably one of the most fun concerts I've ever been to yeah. in my entire oh, okay. life as well. So, anyhow, okay. On that, we're gonna say say lovey, muchas gracias. Thank you for coming. And let's go uh, eat those snacks that are sitting out front. Cool. Thank you so thank much, you, Heidi. You. What a pleasure. Yeah. So fun. Awesome. Awesome.